Hello and welcome to episode number 539 of Holy Crap It Sports. I'm Pete Davis here for the Super Bowl edition, post-Super Bowl edition of the HCIS, as we like to say, what the kids say today. I uh, hope everybody had a great weekend. It's a beautiful day here on the banks of the Etowah River in lovely Cherokee County, Georgia. As I come to you, the Kansas City Chiefs winning the Super Bowl, a fantastic one. What was it, 38 to 35, something like that? And uh, just as I predicted, kind of, I mean, I basically said the Eagles should win the game. But I said on Friday's show, if it gets down to the last minute or two and the game is close or tied, I expect Patrick Mahomes to pull out the win. And that was an experience championship yesterday. It was the experienced Super Bowl coach who'd been in. This was his third Super Bowl he's been in. He's now won two. He was one with the Eagles. He lost that one. Actually, it's his fourth Super Bowl because he lost one with the Chiefs, and he's won two with the Chiefs. Uh, It's the Chiefs' overall third one. They won one with Lynn Dawson and now two with Patrick Mahomes, uh, who's, yeah, he he solidified with a hurt ankle and leading them with 24 points in the second half to come back. He is already, if he quits now, he's a Hall of Famer. Just wave the five years or whatever they do. But anyway, what else was I going to say? Yeah, experience. It was your Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes playing in his third Super Bowl against Siriano, his first Super Bowl as a head coach, and uh, Jalen Hurts, his Super Bowl first one as a player and or as a starter. At least and um, it kind of showed in the second half. Uh, that was experience that won that. I expect the Eagles and Jalen Hurts to be back for at least a couple more. We'll see, uh, good Lord willing, because uh, the Eagles, I will say this, I hate Philadelphia and I hate the Eagles, but they handled it with class. They hated, they hated losing, but they handled losing with class. That's a textbook on how you lose a game and you come out with good sportsmanship, which we don't have enough of. I hope everybody in high school sports and any of the little sports uh, points out how the Chiefs won it and how they handled it and how the Eagles lost and how they handled the lose, losing. Because it's a textbook on how to be good sportsmen and everything. It's good to see. And I think the fact that you have both quarterbacks are good uh, Christians, I think that is a good thing that went along with it. If that angers people, I don't care. Anyway, uh, also, if you want to follow me on Twitter, Pete Davis One, you want to write me, Pete Davis One at yahoo.com. And also, we're doing a special camera show on Wednesday, not Thursday this week. So we're looking for your experiences if you had a bad Valentine's Day tomorrow or a good Valentine's Day tomorrow. We want to hear, in a short way, uh, something we can read on the air on Wednesday on the camera show. So just write me at PeteDavis1 at Yahoo.com. Also, if you want to be a patron of the show, if you think it's worth a cheeseburger a month, If you like listening to it, if it's worth it, just go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and uh, look up Holy Crap at Sports, or you can always go on Venmo and look me up there, Holy Crap at Sports, Pete Davis, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Also, farmhouseprintingco.com for all your t-shirt and any printing needs. You can get your Holy Crap at Sports t-shirts there, Shannon Burke, Kemmershell, whatever you need. They'll do anything for you, farmhouseprintingco.com. What are we drinking today? What's a celebratory mood? You know what I found? What I found over the weekend. Actually, I just went and got it today at Total Wine in Alpharetta. That place is like, it's like the Costco of liquor. God, I wish I still drank. Anyway, uh, non-alcoholic Guinness Stout. 
and I had one during the Kimmer show today. And if you, if you watched this on YouTube, I opened it up and it exploded. <laughs> I hope Flounder likes the smell of Guinness Stout because it's going to be in that chair for quite a while. His cat liked it. His cat was over there licking it up. So we're having Guinness Stout today. Thank goodness. Had me some Heineken yesterday, N.A., and some N.A. Guinness Stout today. Looking forward to it. And by the way, Flounder had some of those Thin Mints. Holy cow. Gosh, they're good frozen. Anyway, let's get the headlines for uh, Monday, February 13th of 2023, episode number 539. Uh, Super Bowl goes to Kansas City, but not without controversy. A breakdown of the game, my prediction correct, and best and worst ads. Uh, If you want a review of the halftime show, we did that on the Kimmer show. I'm not going to repeat it here. Uh, Lots of weird stuff during Super Bowl week, but Micah Parsons may have won the prize. Pat McAfee has an interesting retort to Brett Favre suing him. Peyton Manning agrees with me in between doing bean, bush bean ads. That was weird. Uh, the God of Sod is hanging it up after 57 years, and maybe it's time after looking at that field yesterday. Greg Olson has 7 million reasons to hate Tom Brady. The all-time SEC Super Bowl team. This is a good list. we got Charles Barkley as a news anchor. Chipper is back. New rules for ghost runners and position players pitching in Major League Baseball this season just came down this afternoon. Former umpire Country Joe West is not a fan of Wikipedia. And we got Pete's tweets, this day in sports history, birthdays, all coming up for you. Let's get started, shall we? Pretty damn good Super Bowl won by a KC 38-35 as Harrison Butker, a good friend of both my nephews, went to Georgia Tech together, kicked the winning field goal with just seconds left. Butker had doinked one earlier in the game. Nothing like having Chris Berman say your name and then the word doink right after it. Uh, much more scoring than I thought in the game. Turns out the vaunted Philadelphia defense could not stop Patrick Mahomes. Unbelievable. And if you remember Friday's episode of HCIS, I said I thought Philly should win, but if the game was tight going into the last two minutes, that Mahomes would find a way to win it, and he did. That mad scramble up the middle on his sore ankle put the Chiefs in field goal range. Mm. We were all screaming when KC had the chance for the late touchdown, but the runner sat down on the one-yard line to eat up more clock. Now, me, personally, I would have gone for the points and make the Eagles march all the way down the field for a TD. That would have been exciting. But Andy Reid knows best. He knows better than I do. I also thought that Andy screwed up when he won the coin flip, but kicked off to Philly. The Eagles notorious this year for taking the opening drive and scoring a touchdown and not looking back, and that's almost what happened. I would have kept the KC defense off the field as much as possible. I would have had Mahomes on the field as much as possible. So to me, I would have taken the ball. But Reed was right. Philly had a 10-point lead at the half. Only one team had ever blown a double-digit lead at halftime in the Super Bowl. And of course, that team was your Atlanta Falcons. But anyway, speaking of Atlanta... Did you hear the KC fans doing the tomahawk chop a few times during the Super Bowl? Don't you know the Philadelphia fans love to see that? Not only did they get to they get to hear that most of the time with Braves fans, not this year, but most years the Braves uh, winning in the postseason against them uh, lately. Uh, and then they go to the Super Bowl and <laughs> they get to lose and hear the tomahawk chop again. That must have loved it. In fact, somebody pointed out in the last four months, Philly has lost the World Series, the MLS Cup, and now the Super Bowl. Ha <laughs> uh, ha. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, by the way, the Fox broadcast did not mention the Tomahawk Chop 
If that was Atlanta, they'd have dug up the corpse of Geronimo to call us all bigots. They would have AI'd him, put the words in his mouth. All right, that's the game uh, pretty much. You, you know, everyone's been hashing over the game all day today and all last night, so you pretty much know everything that happened in there. I will say this. I forget his name, but the uh, the eagle that kind of had the, the pull on the jersey that they called for a hold, which was what an anticlimactic way kind of to end the game. Uh, it really took away a chance for the Eagles to have the ball with some time left to see if they could march down and score a touchdown. That's as if, uh, yeah, it would have been a few points. They would have needed a touchdown, uh, at least four points or something like that. So, yeah, it was to me it wasn't a hold, but it technically was. The Eagles guy said, yeah, I held him. Uh, that wasn't the only thing that causes the game. Jalen Hurts fumbling the ball for uh, that ran back for a touchdown. And by the way, that second one that was run back, that was a catch. In my mind, that's a catch and a fumble, but not anymore. There's too many damn rules and all that. But at least the Eagles guy, like I'm talking sportsmanship, said, yeah, yeah, I, I held him. It was a penalty. I just don't think you call it that at that point in the Super Bowl. I just don't think you do that. But... <sighs> It really because that Jalen Hurts, you knew damn well he did not have the arm strength to throw it all the way even close to the end zone. Hell, he didn't even throw it thirty yards. There was a great meme showing somebody at a riot picking up some big white bag or something, and it looks like he's going to throw it eighty yards, and it goes like twenty feet. Uh, it was a pretty funny meme. Anyway, so let's get to the uh, commercial, shall we? <clears throat> Not a commercial, but before the game, Fox played Johnny Cash's Ragged Old Flag. Some pretty great visuals. Everybody in the room I was in was impressed. They've done it before, but that it's just always amazing to hear it again. Nobody can do it like Johnny Cash. Then they cut to the broadcast booth in time for analyst Greg Olson to be called adjusting his crotch on international television. Not a good day for old Greg and his bid to keep Tom Brady at bay. I'm going to tell you in Pete's tweets why he should hate Tom Brady even more. Let's take a sip of the Guinness Stout here. Yeah, there's 7 million reasons why he should hate Tom Brady. We'll talk about that in Pete's tweets. Uh, I got to hand it to the Philly fans for staying on brand by booing the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year. That's for doing the most charity work, basically. Dak Prescott of the Dallas Cowboys. So, of course, the Eagles fans booed him, and it made Dak smile. He held it all in stride, so that was good. Uh, there were a lot of duds in commercials this year, but it, I think it was a little better year overall than the last few years, but only one really stood out. And the way I say stand out, it's the type of commercial that when you see it, you immediately call up a friend and say, did you see that? You know, only one really did that. Um, we'll talk to that in just a second. One of the worst of the duds, though, was the Intuit tax ad featuring a dancing Jimmy Johnson and Greg Olson. Kevin Burkhardt at least had the, the good sense to stay in his seat. Uh, it didn't make sense, the ad did. It was not funny. The white guys cannot dance trope is old and tired. It was as painful to watch as doing your taxes. It, just, it was just dumb all the way around. Uh, Priceline had a good ad about a disappointed young man deflating like a balloon when his daddy told him, we can't afford a vacation this year. That was pretty original. I like that. Uh, the trailer for the new and 500th Transformer movie caught my eye. Finally. A Porsche Transformer and a 
pretty cool one at that. I have not watched the last 15 Transformer movies, but I think I'll have to watch this one. Speaking of uh, movie trailers, I did not watch the Ant-Man because they give away way too much in the trailer, so I'm, I'm staying away from that. I did watch the one, the Flash. The Flash one looked pretty good, even though the guy who plays the Flash is a real freak who hangs around with young boys like Michael Jackson did, in my opinion. But... Uh, anyway, I don't know how many more Flash movies he's going to do. But, of course, something, if you've been paying attention, and I'm not going to spoil it. If you think I'm going to spoil it, you might want to fast forward here for about 30 seconds. But uh, they showed Batman. It, the Flash has screwed up the timeline. That sounds familiar. And uh, the one of the old Batmans is back. I'm Batman. Yeah, that guy. So, everybody says he's the best. I don't think he was the best. I thought those were mostly comedies myself, but they were good. They were mostly comedies. Anyway, uh, what else we got here? All right. Uh, by the end of the first quarter, it already had my fill of Serena Williams. There were two different commercials starring a woman who, at best, polarizes half the country. She comes off as a sullen narcissist most of the time, and this campaign to make her semi-likable is forced just like her smile. Only Megan Rapinoe is more disliked as a female athlete, I believe, in America. Now, Serena is the greatest female tennis player of all time. I don't think there's even a question of that. Got to hand her that. But uh, I just, I've never really cared for her. I think her, she, for, it took her years to ever admit that she got beat. It was always, the other girl didn't beat me. I just didn't play up my A game today. Oh, really? Well, I, I, I watched it and she beat your ass. But anyway, she's still the greatest ever. I'll give her that. Uh, having Serena associated with the movie Caddyshack is uh, an uh, abomination. Who believes that for one moment? Has she ever even seen the film? So boo to Michelob for that lame attempt, even though casting Secession star Brian Cox as Judge Smales and the role played brilliantly by the late Ted Knight actually worked a little bit. I actually, unlike Jackie Mason trying to do something similar in Caddyshack 2, whoa, talk about an abortion, uh, Brian Cox actually has the gravitas that Ted Knight did. I think he could really pull it off. He's a really good actor. I think I first saw him in Deadwood, and he played a rather effeminate um, actor type who was a traveling actor in a troupe, but he was friends with uh, Al Swearingen, the, the badass of Deadwood, uh, which was an unlikely, but they had grown up in England together or something like that. It just, God, I remember, who is that? And also, no, no, I saw him first in the X-Men movies. He played the, one of the bad guys in the X-Men, Striker, the older Striker. And so you might remember him as that, or Secession. He's been in a lot. He is the guy who does the voice of the McDonald's commercials. ba 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 he does that stuff. But anyway, uh, Xfinity teased everybody the entire game with something is coming, which during this week of UFO sightings made the room groan. But their ad featuring a woman on a date picking up red flags about her new boyfriend was damn funny. When she sees a pic of his mom, whom she looks like, and she points out that she looks like his mom, the guy says, yeah, a couple of hotties. Then he turns around, raises his arms, and she sees he's got a tramp stamp. Yeah. That's a lot of red flags. Will Ferrell, as usual, tries too hard. The GM truck ad bragging about it being electric was cute. Uh, a little long, though. We got the message about 20 seconds in. No need to keep hitting us over the head with it. Yet, it was amusing. The Diddy ad, and there are several about him not doing jingles, but producing other musicians to do it for Uber, was okay. Especially the Norwegian singers who did the ubiquitous 
What Does the Fox Say song from years ago, which I think we did a parody of it on the Kimmer Show. Uh, the Tubi, whatever Tubi is, ad about giant rabbits throwing humans down rabbit holes was inventive, just too weird for mainstream audiences, already, already drunk by the time it ran. I don't think any of us understood what the hell it meant. But anyway, which makes it a bad ad if you don't know who, who it was for and what it meant at the end of it. It's an internet thing. Uh, the young Hispanic flag football player, young lady having to avoid everybody from sideline reporter Aaron Andrews to her own mother trying to grab her flags was well done. But once again, I cannot remember what the ad was for. It was too cute for its own good, but it was fun watching her run around. Uh, I, I, someone said it was for the NFL's promoting female flag football. And it was kind of like, you know, we're, we're going to promote this because people are trying to stop. Who's trying to stop women from playing flag football? Nobody cares enough. Please, enough of that. The Coors Light versus Miller Light ad, which turned out to be a lame-ass Blue Moon beer ad, was disappointing. But the Kung Flu slow motion action was good. We enjoyed that. But then here's what else how bad, bad it was. When the Blue Moon thing came up the end of it, we booed. No, the only person in the world I know who likes Blue Moon beer is Flounder. Uh, let's see. All the dog commercials were great. There were two really good ones. The one for Amazon in the crate. I mean, I really thought they were taking him in the crate to give him away, <laughs> but but they got another doggy. And the one and the one where the young lady, when she's a kid, uh, gets a puppy, and her and the puppy grow up together, and then she goes off to college, and then she comes back and it shows her as an adult with a husband lying in bed with a little baby, uh, or toddler or something, and she's. She's petting the kid, and she's looking over the kid's shoulder, and I'm thinking, well, she's going to be looking at a, a photo of the dog. But no, it was the actual dog. The dog was still with them, which I thought was, was pretty cute. Let's see. Uh, my favorite, though, the all, my favorite Super Bowl commercial was one of the early ones, by far, the Dunkin' Donuts one, where Ben Affleck was manning the drive-thru uh, with surprised fans coming around. It had to be in Boston. When his girlfriend, I guess they're still girlfriend, uh, Jennifer Lopez drove up to give him lip, Ben said, you're embarrassing me in front of my friends. Now, anyone who's ever worked a fast food drive-thru and seen their parents pull up knows that feeling. Not me personally, but I've known people who did it. Dunk, in fact, I was one of those that used to drive through the Taco Bell and Tucker. My girlfriend was working there, and we used to go through there like three, four times a night. And just and she would sometimes hand us burritos. That's the good thing about knowing someone who works the, the drive-through. I don't know how they can keep track of a lot of that uh, food. Anyway, uh, what else we got? Now, Dunkin' Donuts may make shitty donuts, but they do know, know how to make a commercial, and they made a good one there. So, uh, uh, Rays of the Guinness Stout. I guess they're just Dunkin' these days. They've taken the donut out. They should have taken their donuts out decades ago because they suck. The only thing they make good donut-wise is an eclair. That's it. Uh, everything else, you, you, Krispy Kreme is where donuts are made. That's just my opinion. We welcome yours. Uh, uh, let's see. We also, Okay, as for after the game, Commissioner Roger Goodell sounded drunk, handing away the Lombardi Trophy. And by the way, that uh, heiress to the Kansas City Chiefs fortune, gosh, she's a good-looking woman. Uh, then Terry Bradshaw said to Super Bowl-winning coach Andy Reid, hey, Andy, waddle over here. Waddle. You had one fat bastard saying to another fat guy, waddle over here? I thought that was 
for Terry Bradshaw, I thought that was very disrespectful. The man's just won his second Super Bowl. I think that's. I thought that was disrespectful, and and he seemed to play along with it. But I don't know, man. Uh, Cowboys superstar Micah Parsons was asked a few questions over the weekend by Bryant McFadden of All Things Covered. Micah's favorite player growing up, Cam Newton. Best running back in the NFL right now, Leonard Fournette. Most embarrassing song on Micah's playlist, Hips Don't Lie by Shakira. But even McFadden was taken back when he asked Parsons to admit to something that no one knows about. And uh, (laughs) Micah replied, I have a foot fetish. McFadden, McFadden, I should have mentioned this earlier because Kimmer has foot fetishes. McFadden replied, you like toes? And Micah said, yep. Maybe he and Rex Ryan can get together to exchange arch and heel picks. Because, you know, Rex is a pretty big foot guy himself. Hall of Fame quarterback Brett Favre announced last week he's suing Shannon Sharp and Pat McAfee for defamation of character. McAfee, on his own show, had an interesting comeback. The former player completely backed down and apologized to Favre. <laughs> Not really. Here's Pat's quote. Let's ride this fucker. I'm excited to see how it goes. I'll see you in court, pal. End quote. Anytime you use the word pal these days, it's not friendly. I said last week that uh, Patrick Mahomes is already a Hall of Famer and Hall of Fame commercial spokesman Peyton Manning agrees with me saying, give it, go ahead and put him in there now. Okay, here's a good list we have here. Today's list. Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South has put together the greatest SEC Super Bowl team of all time. He starts off at quarterback. Now, remember, Joe Namath won a Super Bowl, and he went to Alabama. But according to Connor, the greatest SEC quarterback in the Super Bowl, Eli Manning of Ole Miss. The guy beat Tom Brady twice in Super Bowls. That's more impressive than his brother Peyton, who you might have heard of. It's also more impressive than Bart Starr, who won the first two Super Bowls by completing a combined 29 passes for the Packers. And, of course, Bart went to Bama, too. Manning threw the David Tyree pass that ranks as one of the best plays in NFL history. That's worthy of the SEC quarterback nod. Now, Tyree was one that he caught it behind his head, and this is after Eli had scrambled. They said there were so many holdings, but it should have been called. But anyway, Tyree jumps up, grabs it, pins it against his helmet, falls down, and we all thought, well, he hit the ground. The ball hit the ground. And they did it in slow-mo, and it did not hit the ground. It was unbelievable. But I also remember in the Super Bowl that Eli won before then was that play when he was deep in his field, or was he in his own end zone or something and he threw that long pass to the left sideline toward you know toward your tv camera and uh, the guy caught it over his shoulder on the sideline it was a perfect like 30 yard pass that to me is just as great of a pass to me to me the Tyree one was was half Eli and half David because of the scramble and the catch but that one that throw and to the sidelines that to me was all Eli Sure, the guy had to catch it, but that was the perfect throw. Unbelievable. Okay. Uh, Running back, Emmett Smith of Florida. You can make a case for Terrell Davis, Terrell, whatever, who was instrumental in the Broncos finally getting John Elway the Super Bowl. But Smith ranks number one in Super Bowl career rushing touchdowns at five. He's number three in Super Bowl career rushing yards at 289. The former Gator might not have had an individual game quite like Davis did with his record-setting three touchdowns showing in Super Bowl 32, but his cumulative body of work was slightly more impressive. 
Wide receivers, you got Heinz Ward of Georgia and Willie Gault of Tennessee. Fun fact. At the time of Galt's 129-yard day in the Bears' beatdown of the Patriots in Super Bowl XX, it was fourth all-time for receiving yards in a Super Bowl. Uh, Ward is the SEC's lone non-quarterback to win a Super Bowl MVP honors in the 21st century, which he earned by hauling in one of the best trick plays in the game's history, a 41-yard throw from former college quarterback Antoine Randall L. in Super Bowl XV, I want to say. I think it's XL. Is that 15 or is that extra large? Anyway, I forgot about that throw. Uh, tight end, ugh, this is a weird one, Aaron Hernandez, Florida. We're going strictly based on on-field performance here. Hernandez is the only SEC tight end ever to be his team's leading receiver in the Super Bowl. Granted, it came in a loss to the Giants, but his 67 yards and a score kept the Pats within striking distance. I think that was Super Bowl. Looking at this, XL. Okay, I'm obviously forgetting... That was Super Bowl 46. So I guess the other XL was Super Bowl 40. Not 15, but Super Bowl 40. Yeah. Okay, I'm an idiot. L means 50, right? X is 10. <sighs> of course, Aaron Hernandez later convicted of murder and then was either killed himself. I think he committed suicide in prison. Uh, center. You've got uh, David Andrews of Georgia. Quietly, Andrews had turned into one of the SEC's best undrafted players of the 21st century, helped protect Brady in three Super Bowls. Patriots won two of those. And even though they lost one to the Eagles, they set a Super Bowl record with 613 yards of offense. Offensive tackle, you got Andrew Whitworth of LSU and Max Starks of Florida. Whitworth might not have delivered the single best showing from a former SEC offensive tackle, but come on, the guy is the oldest offensive tackle to ever play in the Super Bowl at age 40, the oldest offensive lineman to even appear in one. Starks protected a young Ben Roethlisberger in two Super Bowl wins, both at left tackle and right tackle. If Starks' block doesn't hold, Pittsburgh cannot execute the key end-around pass from Antoine Randall-L to the aforementioned ward for the dagger 41-yard touchdown. Let's see. Offensive guard, Raleigh McKenzie of Tennessee and Charlie Hanna of Bama. McKenzie won two Super Bowls with Washington, including the beatdown of the Broncos, where the then Redskins ran for 280 yards on seven yards per carry. Helped pave the way for Timmy Smith. Remember him? Still holds a single-game Super Bowl rushing record, 204 yards on the ground. The second-best single-game rushing performance in Super Bowl history was by Marcus Allen, who ran for 191 yards thanks to the holes created from Hanna, at left guard. Defensive lineman Reggie White of Tennessee, Chris Jones of Mississippi State, Coney Ely of Missouri, and Malik Jackson of Tennessee. The Minister of Defense tied a Super Bowl record with three sacks, including the game ender in Super Bowl 31. Ely went on to tie that record with three sacks in Super Bowl 50, also added an interception and a forced fumble, but did not take home MVP honors because he was on the losing team. Jones, who was set to play in his third Super Bowl, or was because he did, forced an interception on a pressure, and he tipped three passes at the line of scrimmage to help the Chiefs win Super Bowl 54. Not a whole lot of defensive linemen get to celebrate a Super Bowl TD, but Jackson did when Von Miller, ineligible from this list because he never played in the SEC, forced a fumble of Cam Newton that Jackson recovered in the end zone to help the Broncos to Super Bowl 50 victory. That's still the lone SEC defensive touchdown that's ever been scored in the Super Bowl. By the way, for those of you screaming and hollering about Von Miller was in the SEC, think about it while I take a sip. Von Miller was with the Texas A&M Aggies before they joined the SEC. At least that's what they're saying here. 
Linebackers Dante Hightower of Bama, Devin White of LSU, and Danny Trevathan of Kentucky. It helps that Hightower has three rings, but it also helps that he played a significant part in helping the Patriots dynasty of the 2010s. The former Alabama star had a monumental strip sack of Matt Ryan that helped New England overcome the 28-3 deficit to win Super Bowl 51 in overtime. He had two sacks in the Super Bowl 53 victory. White might have only played in one Super Bowl, but he made it count 12 tackles, two tackles for losses, and a game-sealing interception of Patrick Mahomes to lift the Bucs. Trevathan played in two Super Bowls for the Broncos, one of which was a blowout loss in which he had a team-high 12 tackles. The other was a victory in which he had another team-high tackles, eight, while recovering a fumble. Defensive backs, uh, Stephon Gilmore of South Carolina, Jake Scott of Georgia, Corey Webster of LSU, and Darian Stewart of South Carolina. Gilmore played in two Super Bowls, albeit with mixed results. The former Gamecock star was part of the Patriots' surprising 41-33 loss to the Eagles in Super Bowl 52, but a year later he picked off Jared Goff late to help New England close a, to a 13-3 defensive struggle. That was a bad Super Bowl. Scott was a turnover-forcing machine. The former dog had a two-interception game en route to Super Bowl VII MVP honors to cap off Miami's undefeated season. And a year later, his two fumble recoveries fueled a repeat victory. Webster won two Super Bowls with the Gents, the first of which saw him contain one of the best passing attacks in NFL history. His lone mistake that game was falling down on a Randy Moss touchdown. Stewart was a menace in Super Bowl 50. In addition to helping Cam to 44% passing, the former Gamecock had a sack and a forced fumble, which was recovered by the aforementioned Trevathan. Kicker. Don Chandler of Florida. Yeah, he might have been the kicker in a couple of blowout wins to kick off the Super Bowl era, but the guy is still tied for the single-game record with four field goals. That game alone has him tied for fourth all-time in Super Bowl career field goals made. A punter, Britton Colquitt of the Vols. In a game that was all about field position, Colquitt deserved MVP consideration in Super Bowl 50. He did have an average of 46 yards with two kicks inside the 20, one which set up the aforementioned Malik Jackson fumble recovery in the end zone for the Broncos. And finally, kick returner, Percy Harvin of the Gators. As much as it's frustrating to look back on Harvin's career and what could have been, he holds a very distinctive title. He's the only SEC player to return a kickoff for a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Harvin took the opening kick at the second half back in Super Bowl 58 to, oh, wait a minute, XL, that's four, 48, to stretch Seattle's lead to 29 to nothing over Denver and quash any hope of a Broncos comeback. Harvin will always have that. Speaking of the returners, that punt return the Kansas City Chiefs did, where he went left in the entire, um, who the hell were they playing? Philly. The entire Philly team was over there on the left, so then he cut back right, went all the way down to the five-yard line. That, to me, was the play of the game to turn it around, to really to turn it around at that point. And, you know, the, and the Chiefs had been either behind or tied for all the game until late in the game, too. So... What a what an experience. That shows how experience matters. Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes' experience over Siriano and um, Hertz, uh, to me, made all the difference. Uh, lots of complaints about the field during the game. Uh, the Eagles changed cleats at halftime. Not the first time that field has been slippery during a Super Bowl. The other two times as well. In fact, the Chiefs even complained about this field after playing a game there earlier this season. I don't know why they can't get this right. But don't blame George Toma. Why? But even though he was in charge, 
George is 94 years old. The groundskeeper, dubbed the Sod Father, has tended every Super Bowl field in history, but yesterday was his final big game as number 57. He called it time on a legendary career. He says, I'm here to give the players the best possible condition to play on a safe playing field and then some. <laughs> you didn't. Uh, he began working on fields for Super Bowls in 1967. He said for Super Bowl one, they had a budget of $500. God bless. Uh, the recent turfs have cost $750,000. Mm. 30 people to handle it. Uh, this year's field at State Farm Stadium in Glendale cost around eight hundred k. Took 18 months to grow uh, in California, I believe. Or it's from California originally. He says it's one of the best, he said. Well, it turned out not to be. And, of course, the halftime tore it up a little bit, too. Uh, Thomas started his career as a groundskeeper at age 13 in 1942. Worked for the Kansas City Chiefs in 1963. Also has two Olympic games to his portfolio, including 84 L.A. and 96 Atlanta summer games. Started his uh, baseball career in 1957 as head groundskeeper for the uh, Kansas City Athletics. Helped transform the old municipal stadium, notoriously poor field, and is one of baseball's best. Went over to oversee the fields in Kansas City for both the Royals and the Chiefs. His legendary career has earned him places in Hall of Fames from football to MLB. Uh, let's see, he joined his mentor, Emil Bossert, as the first inductees into the MLB Groundskeeper Association Hall of Fame uh, 11 years ago. Hmm. Uh, he said, I don't like those people stomping on that good grass when they're practicing. Uh, he says, after they get rehearsed, we spend hours with brushes, brushing it up, bringing the leaves to stand up again. But they were hauling divots off right and left yesterday. Uh, some Major League news. Chipper Jones is going to come back for the Braves as a hitting instructor. He took some time off during the China virus pandemic because it didn't really work out with the schedule and what was going on. So... Chipper is going to be back, and that's uh, really good because that man knows just about everything there is about hitting and what he doesn't know, his father knows. And more about that, we got some major league rules changes coming up up in Pete's tweets, so stay tuned. NBA news, CNN chairman and CEO Chris Licht, Licht is in negotiations with Barkley, Charles Barkley, to have the hoops great on a news-oriented primetime show. Uh, he would interview newsmakers, journalists, and other guests about various topics of the day. And if the ratings start out slow, don't be surprised if Sir Charles picks up George Clooney and tosses him through a window. He might try that with Oprah, but he'll probably get a hernia. On this day, February 13th in 1937, the Boston Redskins get approval from the NFL to move to Washington, D.C. and share baseball's Griffith Stadium with first the Washington Senators of the American League. And later they would move into RFK and share that with the Senators and uh, for the first few years of the Nationals. 1952, future world champion Rocky Marciano. My uncle swore he was him and Lewis were the greatest ever. Joe Lewis. Knocks out Italian heavyweight boxer Gino Buonvino. <laughs> oh, Gino Bonvino in the second round at Rhode Island Auditorium, Providence, for his 40th straight win. I don't think Marciano ever lost. Didn't he retire 50-0 and then he died in a plane crash or something? 1971, U.S. Vice President Spiro Agnew hit not one but two tee shots into the crowd while golfing, injuring two. <laughs> I got to take a sip. My mouth's dry. Mm. Two. Yes, that's right. Two. 
uh, uh, let's see, uh, 1976, American Dorothy Hamill of that haircut. Every girl in America had that haircut. Wins the free skate to clinch the women's figure skating gold medal at the Innsbruck Winter Games. 1980, at the 13th Winter Olympic Games, they open in Lake Placid, New York. That's a beautiful place if you ever get a chance to go. 1992, Jose Canseco repeatedly rams his Porsche into his wife's BMW. (laughs) Who hasn't wanted to do that on the road? Uh, 2022, Super Bowl 56 at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood. The LA Rams beat the Bengals 23-20. The MVP was Cooper Cup the Rams wide receiver. (coughs) Birthdays on February 13th. Uh, Happy pre-Valentine Day. 1919, Eddie Robinson, College Football Hall of Fame coach for Grambling, had 408 wins. Born in Jackson, Louisiana, died in 2007. 1944, Sal Bando, third baseman, four-time All-Star, won a World Series in 72, 73, and 74 for the Oakland A's, was an executive, a GM of the Brewers in the 90s, Born in Cleveland, Ohio, died just a few weeks ago. Uh, 1947, Mike Chichesky was born. Uh, retired from Duke last year. He was an Olympic coach, born in Chicago. Uh, Randy Moss is 45 years old. He was born on this day in 1977. Pro Football Hall of Fame receiver, six-time pro bowler. Born in Rand, West Virginia. I think he's probably the second best receiver of all time. 1982, Michael Berner Turner. Running back for the San Diego Chargers and Atlanta Falcons for five years. Born in Waukegan, Illinois. Started in 2008 for the Falcons, coming over for the Chargers, and was a damn good running back. Uh, Dead people, February 13th. In 2005, we lost Nelson Browse, a baseball player, mainly for the Cardinals. I think he was a pitcher. I have his baseball card. In fact, every other pack you had a Nelson Browse in there. Uh, born in 1943. 2012, Freddie Solomon died. Ride receiver. He was 59 years old. Died of colon and liver cancer. He played for the Dolphins and the 49ers. Pretty good uh, possession receiver, I think. I'm trying to remember. He was pretty good, though. 2018, Tito Francona. Utility man. He was an all-star in 1961. Dead at the age of 84. And of course, he's the father of Red Sox and Phillies. And now Indians. Nope. Guardians manager, Terry Francona. One divorce of note on this day, February 13, 1974. George Foreman was 25 when he divorced Adrian Calhoun after almost three years of marriage. Let's see. Are we going to do Pete's tweets right now? Let's jump over to Pete's tweets. See what we got here. Okay, Codify put out this stat. Ichiro Suzuki had 126 hits in a 63-game span back in 2004. Yeah, that's an average of two hits per game over eight weeks. No one else has ever done that in baseball history. Just think about that a second. What else we got here sports-wise? We already did that. Uh, No, that's not sports. Neither is that. Uh, Okay, here we go. Codify. Put together the run scored by the bottom two-third of a baseball lineup last year. What team do you think the bottom, the seventh, eighth, and ninth hitters, who scored the most runs coming out of those bottom three? Your Atlanta Braves, 509, the only team over 500. The closest to them, Dodgers at 496. That is 13 
uh, less than the Braves did. Now who's the now the Astros won it all. I'm looking on this list. They were like right in the middle. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirty. They were fourteenth out of thirty teams with four hundred twenty-five runs by the bottom. And bottom at the very bottom of the list here, the Angels at three hundred and twenty-eight, even behind the Oakland A's. I told you a little bit about the Puerto Rican and Dominican Republic lineups for the World Baseball Classic. Well, here are your Americans. Position players, Pete Alonzo, Tim Anderson, Nolan Arenado, Mookie Betts, Paul Goldschmidt, Cal Higashioka, Jeff McNeil, Cedric Mullins, J.T. Rail Muto, Cal Schwarber, Will Smith. Now, which Will Smith is that? Is that the catcher or is that the pitcher? Huh. Mike, that's a catcher. It's on position players. Dumbass. Uh, Mike Trout, Cal Tucker, Trey Turner, and Bobby Witt Jr. I like that. Pitchers, Jason Adam, Daniel Bard, David Bednar, Nestor Cortez, Kendall Graveman, Merrill Kelly, Clayton Kershaw, Lance Lynn, secret chimp, Nick Martinez, Miles Mikolas, Adam Ottavino, Ryan Presley, Brooks Raley, Brady Singer, Adam Wainwright, and Devin Williams. I don't like that pitching staff, to tell you the truth. Uh, I just don't. What else we got here, sports-wise? Larry Zonka said, On Super Bowl Sunday about 50 years ago, I was trying to pull Jim Kick, his fellow running back, away from cartoons on the TV so we could check out of the hotel and head for the buses. He loved Huckleberry Hound. I wonder what today's players are doing to find their calm. <laughs> I think we lost Jim Kick a several years ago too that's a shame uh let's see sports wise oh here's something it's not sports wise it's valentine's okay if you don't have a valentine's tomorrow or you're out with your valentine's and and you're going to the restroom if you're out at a restaurant and you see a couple doesn't matter what sex they are or gender whatever we're doing doesn't matter you and first of all don't know them either it makes it funnier if you don't know them walk up to either the man or the woman depending on what you want to do Look at them straight in the eye with a pissed off look and say, huh, so this is why you're not answering. And please film it when you do it. God, I'd like to see that. That would be hysterical. And then just walk off. Don't stay. Is this why you're not answering your phone? And then walk off in a huff. Oh, my God. And have someone else have a camera on the couple. I think it'd be funny. Uh, oh, when ESPN Stats and Info put out that double-digit loss stat that teams are 26-1, and one, the lone loss by the Falcons, who led by 18, <laughs> Garrett Chapman tweeted back, please, just leave us alone. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, here's a freezing cold take for you. Super Bowl is tight. Jalen Hurts out-dueling Patrick Mahomes as Eagles lead Chiefs 27-21 entering the fourth quarter. 17 minutes later, that was it was flipped on its ear. The Empire State Building has done it again. Remember when they put the Eagles colors up when they won the NFC title game? The Empire State Building put the Chiefs colors up, red, uh, congratulating them on winning the Super Bowl. That's damn funny right there. Uh, okay, here's a freezing cold take. Here's some of the um, media... And they won't say who said this. This is some of the media reaction when the Kansas City Chiefs drafted Patrick Mahomes out of Texas Tech. And I remember I had my doubts, too. I'd watched him play at Texas Tech. And I'm thinking, he's fun to watch, but he's real, real undisciplined. Well, here's what it said. 
Chiefs are stupid. S-T-O-O-P-I-D. Mahomes has so many flaws, I don't know how you fix him. And the Chiefs just made the dumbest move of the draft. (laughs) Didn't they move up for him? And and so meanwhile, the onion said the Chiefs' second Super Bowl win proves anything is possible if you do not trade up to draft Mitch Trubisky. (laughs) Uh, NFL CBS tweeted, most rushing yards by a quarterback in Super Bowl history. Jalen Hurts, 70 yards rushing. He lost. Steve McNair, 64 yards rushing. Lost. I was there. And Colin Kaepernick, 62 yards rushing. Lost. Uh, here's another uh, for the win freezing cold take uh, here's their draft response about Patrick Mahomes they gave the Chiefs a grade of C minus the Chiefs got the trade from the draft pick from Buffalo okay analysis calling Mahomes a prospect is a major understatement he's nowhere near ready to play in the NFL and honestly he may never be Between his inconsistent accuracy due to poor mechanics, his tendency to bail from clean pockets, and his lack of field vision, he's going to leave as many big plays in the field as he creates. This was a risky pick. That's what For the Win said about that. All right, what else we got here? Uh, Baseball GIFs has pointed out that Country Joe West, the retired umpire, is spending his retirement editing his Wikipedia page to remove things that make him look bad. In fact, he is threatening to sue Wikipedia or whoever's doing this. NFL rumors, quarterback comparison. Okay, uh, Patrick Mahomes had three touchdowns. Jalen Hurts, four. Responsible for. Mahomes, 182 passing yards. Hurt, 304. Mahomes, 44 rushing yards. Hurt had 70. And yet he lost. Getting good reports at the Phoenix airport has handled today's flights well. Uh, David Byrne on Facebook says Rihanna is getting destroyed in capital letters on social media after a Super Bowl halftime performance. Viewers blast Rihanna as biggest sellout over Super Bowl performance. That's on Breitbart. Okay. When it started, before she even sang a note, Facebook, the old fogies on Facebook were already bitching about her. Okay. Then I went on another website, and it was nothing but Rihanna is one of the best ever. All right. And then the, today I, I turned on some website, and it said, she's getting destroyed. You know, it was just like David said here. She's getting destroyed. And then right before the camera show, I looked at another website, and it was nothing but A-plus grades. It just depends on who's giving you the story. You know that by now. You can't trust any of these people to be objective. None of them. And they're bitching because five years ago, Rihanna said because of the Colin Kaepernick things that she could not perform at the Super Bowl halftime because of the NFL's complicity in something. What they call it? What's this thing? Systemic, not racism, systemic inequality, I think is what she said. And, of course, the Onion or Babylon B said, well, obviously that's all been cleared up because here she is five years later. Here's my take on this. Five years ago, that's what everybody was up in arms about. Everybody else, including me and you, have moved on from Colin Kaepernick. Nobody gives a flying fuck what he has to say about anything. So why should Rihanna? She's past it. She's moved past it. We've all moved past it. Now, she should not have worn that red dress. I don't think I like that at all. I'm so excited. 
Everybody in the entertainment industry got the same memo. Hey, let's all pretend to be, or not pretend, to be satanic this year. All right, what else we got? Oh, and here's another thing. There's something, who did this? The Root. I don't even know what The Root is. Uh, it's obviously a black person nutting up on Chris Berman. I don't know why Chris Berman was hired back from ESPN. I don't know why he's back. He sucked. He's always sucked. The, the they, names were fun for a little while. I think he sucked. I, when Andy Reid walked up yesterday on the ESPN dais after the game, I thought Berman was going to break down in tears and blow him right there. Uh, it was just way over the top dramatic bullshit, and that's Chris Berman. But anyway, I guess he's got to work because of the family issues. But anyway, uh, so Berman said afterwards, Here's his quote. Also, of course, two African-American quarterbacks starting against each other in the Super Bowl for the first time. Fittingly, February 12th is Abe Lincoln's birthday, end quote. The black media went batshit crazy, including The Root. I don't know. I forget the name of this idiot. But he said, yeah, that's right. After pointing out the history that was made, Berman said that with a straight face. Talk about peak white bullshit. In what world should black people thank Abraham Lincoln for being partly responsible for two black quarterbacks playing the Super Bowl? Which is essentially what Berman stupidly implied. Berman should keep his big fat mouth shut. I jumped ahead a little bit there. I'm surprised they didn't say big fat white mouth sucked. These are people like on the root.com that will, we could have total equality in the races and they will not admit it because there's too much money to be made in it. But anyway, uh, let, me, let me go back to this. How is Abraham Lincoln even partly responsible for what's going on today? Hmm. Gee, I don't know. Maybe because he and several hundred thousand white people died to free the slaves. And yet you can go, you can parse the thing that he didn't really want to free the slaves. He only did it because, you know, it was the way to win the war. It was to divide the South, blah, 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 blah. There's all kinds of, they're even saying now that Lincoln, there's revisionist historians saying that Lincoln owned slaves, I guess because his wife was rich and she may have had some or did something. I, I don't know. But to sit there and say that Abraham Lincoln had nothing to do with what goes on today, I just blows my mind. And I'm not a big Lincoln fan either, but still. Uh, he's the one who put that butcher in there, Grant. And the uh, war criminal, Sherman. But that's just, he tried to give it to Lee. Lee wouldn't take it. Okay, here's your MLB rules changes. They have unanimously voted, according to Fox Sports MLB, to make the extra inning automatic runner, we call it the ghost runner, on second base, the rule is permanent for the 2023 season and beyond. It's saying for the regular season. So it looks like they're going to go back to no ghost runner in the playoffs. I, I to me, I want it. I, I don't think you should do that. Either have it or don't have it. But quit playing around. That's just me. Uh, we also they also did another rule change. We we'll get that in a second because I wanted to throw this out there. Tim Brando said uh, that Conrad Dobler passed away at the age of seventy-two. Number 66 for the old St. Louis Cardinals. I remember him. That was good teams. Jim Hart, Mel Gray, Terry Metcalf. God, they were fun teams. Couldn't get past the Cowboys, though. Uh, Roger Stahlback in the, in, in the mess. Uh, or was that Danny White era? 
probably stall back. But anyway, Tim Brando said, a one of a kind in an era that grew the game. Rest in peace. Jeff and Note used to talk about Dobler. Dobler was called the dirtiest player in the game. And he kind of admitted it. Uh, okay, here's the second rule that came out. Rules for position players pitching. Now, we all used to think it was great because it didn't happen all that often. It was like you call up your buddies, hey, hey, turn on the A's game. They got some damn catcher throwing, you know, pitching or something, you know. Uh, well, then it got a little ubiquitous last year because there's so many runaway games. Well, here are the new rules. A position player may pitch if the game is in extra innings, so you can't do it in regular innings anymore, if the game is in the ninth inning when trailing by eight or more, so I guess you can do it in ninth inning, if, if you're trailing by eight or more, uh, in the ninth inning when leading by ten or more. Hmm. I don't think you should be able to do it if you're leading. Put the guy in the last guy in the bullpen out there. I, I, no, if you're leading, I don't think you should be able to throw the position player out there. That's, that's only if you're behind, you're getting killed, and you don't want to waste any more of your pitchers. I don't like that at all. Uh, okay, I said earlier that Greg Olson has 7 million reasons now to hate Tom Brady. NFL rumor says that Olson gets $10 million a year as the number one analyst at Fox. When Tom Brady becomes number one in 2024, Greg Olson's salary will fall to $3 million a year. We'll take a $7 million pay cut. Now, he got some criticism yesterday. Not everybody was happy with Olsen yesterday. And uh, But up until then, people have been saying how good he's been this year. But he's better in Romo now. I don't know. Let's go to the, this date in baseball history. February 13th, 1914, the Cubs exchanged second baseman with the Boston Braves, sending future Hall of Famer Johnny Evers, tinkers to Evers to chance, to Boston for Bill Sweeney. Boston gets the better of the deal. Their new middle infielder plays a pivotal role in the club's world championship. Got the Chalmers Award as the league's most valuable player, which I believe was a car, the Chalmers Motor Industry uh, Company or whatever. Uh, and, of course, that was the Miracle Braves. They were in last place in August, and then they stormed back and won it all. 1920, Hall of Famer Rube Foster and seven other team owners create the first Negro National League, the NNL, at a meeting in Kansas City YMCA. 1953, in honor of their longtime owner and manager, the A's renamed their Philadelphia ballpark from Scheib Park to Connie Mack Stadium. During his 50-year tenure as the athletic skipper, the tall tactician guided the team to nine American League pennants, appeared in eight World Series, and won five of them. 19, and, of course, he was the early proponent of when he won he would sell the team off and start from scratch again, basically. He didn't like to pay the players. 1964, at the age of 22, Cubs second baseman Ken Hubbs died when the Cessna 172 plane he was piloting crashes one quarter mile south of Bird Island in a Utah lake during a winter storm. The 1962 National League Rookie of the Year took flying lessons for the past two offseasons to overcome his fear of flying had just obtained his license a month before. Wow. Uh, 1970. So I guess I guess if he had lived uh, later on in the 60s, probably Glenn Beckert's not your second baseman then. Huh. Uh, 19th, and that uh, Kessinger-Beckert uh, Beckert, uh, double play duo 
would not have happened. 1970, a day after his 27th birthday, Paul Edmondson and his girlfriend are killed in an automobile accident in San Barbara, California. Or is it San Barbara or Santa Barbara? His car skids on a rain-slicked U.S. Route 101, crashes into oncoming traffic. The White Sox had hoped their sophomore right-hander would become the fourth starter in the team's rotation after he went a misleading 1-6 record uh, the previous season. 1974, James Cool Papa Bell named to the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. 1986, Ron Hassey, whom the White Sox got two months earlier from the Yankees, is traded back to the Yankees along with three minor leaguers for Neil Allen, Scott Bradley, and a minor leaguer. In December, the Bronx Bombers sent the 32-year-old catcher to the Windy City along with Joe Cowley, who will toss a no-hitter in September. Uh, Britt Burns comes back. Britt Burns was a pretty good uh, pitcher, and Joe Cowley was with the Braves, came up kind of a sidewinder, if I remember. And they tried him as a reliever or something. Then, of course, he goes somewhere else and throws a no-hitter. See Tommy Green. See uh, (laughs) Steve Bedrosian. Bedrosian got a Cy Young after he left the Braves. Uh, Saturday Down South, ESPN. On this day, National Pastime, the Daily Mail. Thank you very much for helping me put this... uh, tidy little show together for you here by the way on wednesday when we do uh, the next show god willing i will tell you about a gentleman that has been to every super bowl and this was his last one i'll tell you about that this guy there's like four of them left that have been to every one and he gets his tickets at face value every year i'll tell you how that happens uh because talking last night uh my my brother-in-law's brother tony was telling me we, that he had looked into it and like some of the cheap, the median ticket was $6,000 for the Super Bowl. And uh, 6000 and he was going, gosh, that, who can afford that? And and I was thinking about these four guys that have been to every Super Bowl and they, I think two of them get face value every year. It's pretty amazing. Oh gosh, what do we got here? Twitter, 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 Twitter. Uh, uh, Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin says he is going to resume his playing career. Well, the soccer player did for Denmark. Uh, that's according to NFL rumors. Uh, just shot in the hand. See if ticket to the Super Bowl. There's a video on NFL rumors if you want to look at it. It's a video. It shows a Navy veteran served for 21 years, was shot in the head, got free tickets to the Super Bowl. That's pretty cool. I don't know who gave it to him. Oh, no. Oh, no. One of the few good pitchers we have, Nestor Cortez of the Yankees, has a grade two right hamstring strain, so he will not pitch in the WBC. Thank you, Brian Hawk, for that report. So he's one of the good I mean, come on, we don't have many good pitchers, I think. There's him, Kershaw, and, and the Devin kid from Milwaukee. And he's a reliever. Do you know that Babe Ruth once put on, once put on a fake beard? in an exhibition game and played with the House of David team in 1931. There's a photo of him. I'm going to retweet that. That's pretty funny. I'm also going to retweet the uh, Nestor Cortez. I like that kid. He's got moxie, uh, even if he is a Yankee. Uh, Eagles cornerback James Bradbury says that he did wrong in the controversial penalty against Juju Smith-Schuster. Says it was holding. I tugged on the jersey. He's a pending free agent, one of the best corners in the NFL, and a stand-up guy. 
Uh, what else we got here? Do, 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 do. Oh, Codify. Most whiffs on out-of-zone pitches since 2017. This is swinging at pitches you should not be swinging at, okay? Unless you're Yogi Berra. Javier Baez leads everybody 1,430. The next guy is Nick Castellanos at 1,233. Let's go down the list here. Bryce Harper, 977. Nelson Cruz, 974. J.D. Martinez, 951. Aaron Judge, 950. And Joey Gallo, 932. That's the list. Huh. Everyone liking Chris Stapleton doing the, the national anthem? He did a very good job. No one's ever going to outdo Whitney. Let's just go ahead and retire that. Come on. Kansas City is getting on the plane an hour ago. They're heading back to Kansas City. I don't know how the weather is back there. Okay, that pretty much... That's pretty much your... Oh, yeah, let's go to ESPN see what we got. Let's see if we got a headline. I don't know what that do to do thing was there. I apologize for that. Uh, why well, well, you got to hear the power rankings? I don't even want to look to where the Falcons are. Uh, let's see. I don't want to. Somebody's calling. I don't want to deal with that. Uh, Andy Reid says if Eric Bieniemy leaves, he hopes he leaves to become a head coach. It looks like the Eagles offense coordinator Spiken or whatever his name is, Slyker, is, is maybe the Colts' new head coach. Uh, uh, what else we got here? Um, no, that seems to be it. Everybody have a good uh, rest of the week. I'll see you on Wednesday. Of course, we're doing a special Kimmer show Wednesday, not Thursday. It's the post-Valentine's Day show. If you have a good or bad, funny Valentine's story, uh, write me at PeteDavis1 at Yahoo.com. Keep it short and, and pithy, as Bill O'Reilly used to say, and we may read it on the Kimmer show on uh, Wednesday. And once again, if you've got nothing to do tomorrow and you're out and you see a couple having a good time on Valentine's Day, having a nice dinner, it's your job to destroy that mood by walking over to them and looking at either one of them and saying in a bitchy mood, well, so this is why you're not answering your calls. And then walk off in a huff. And have someone with you there filming it because that would be pretty damn funny. And please send it to me. All right, everybody have a great uh, rest of the weekend. And happy Valentine's Day. And um, I haven't gotten any so far. It's kind of like, remember, third grade? Before they, they made everybody have, had to get one. When, when I was in third grade, you only gave Valentine's to the people you wanted to give it to. And here's how embarrassing it was. They had these little cubby holes against the wall where you could put notes and messages so you didn't pass it in class. You could put the note in there, and they could read it between classes. And this is first, second, third grade, something like that. And over in Decatur, third, third grade in Decatur, Columbia Elementary. And you could look in your cubby hole, and some people never had any. And then the teachers would feel bad. And so on the last day, they kind of put two or three in there that they themselves would write as anonymous, but you knew it was them. But it was kind of like a pop. There you were in third grade. It was already a popularity contest. And I would get maybe two or three. But that was embarrassing when you look in somebody else's and they'd have like 16. I was not a good-looking kid. I didn't get even, well, I was a cute baby. Then I got in that weird opie phase with a lot of freckles. And then toward high school, I kind of got better looking. In fact, and I never thought I was good-looking in high school, but I look back at my high school photos now, and in my 20s, I go, you weren't, a, you weren't that bad-looking a guy at all. 
I should have been out there <laughs> hitting the bars a little more, frankly. I could have done a lot better than I thought I could. You, you, but you don't know. You can't judge yourself until later when you look back. Unless you're a narcissist. <laughs> I don't know why I'm rambling. Drink up, Shriners. <laughs>